Welcome to War Stories. I'm Preston Stewart, and this is a show where we talk about America's military history through the lens of individual acts of heroism and valor. Enjoy. Today we have the story of Corporal Charles Kelly, otherwise known as Commando Kelly or the One Man Army. Charles Kelly would be assigned to Company L, Lima Company, part of the 3rd Battalion, 143rd Infantry Regiment, part of the 36th Infantry Division in the Second World War. The There's a lot to this story. It's interesting. It's it's unique. It sounds, it's, we're going to get back into the category of this sounds like it's right out of a video game and it sounds unreal. Um, but I think it comes home towards the end as we start talking about, uh, you know, Kelly's time after the war. So spoiler, he, he, he survives this action. Charles Kelly grew up kind of in a rough area, um, in, in Pittsburgh before the war, got in a lot of trouble before the service but eventually joined the army and then got in a lot of trouble in the army right out the gate. And and what comes to mind as I'm looking at this is the term that we still use in the modern military where you have, and it, it shifts how you want to define these two, but I've heard it used as garrison soldier versus a field soldier or a, you know, stateside soldier versus a deployed soldier. And it's this idea that in certain circumstances, the soldier is going to perform better or worse and it sounds like in the case of Charles Kelly, when he was stateside, it was just another job. He was just just in a uniform, but was still getting into a lot of the same trouble he got into before he joined. That discipline that we always talk about when joining the military wasn't quite there. But the minute he gets into combat, the minute he's deployed, he becomes this rock, this person that everybody can rely upon. And it's 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 very, very stark in this case. And it's neat. It's a great thing to see. You love love seeing that. Um, but it's funny to think how that's, that, that's still, that's very much a thing today, but Charles Kelly, uh, by the time he gets to Italy in 1943, really going to be in some of the first European, um, well, some of the first combat in Italy will be Kelly's unit. Um, he'll be a corporal at the time when they land on the main, um, the mainland of Italy. And that invasion, uh, takes part uh, right at the beginning of September, September 3rd, 1943. And the action we're going to talk about here is September 13th and 14th, 1943, which means that we're, you know, it's a toehold still on the beaches. We, at this point now, looking back on the second world war, it's easy to forget how tenuous a lot of the allied positions were, especially in 1943. We didn't, we didn't know that we were going to eventually land in Normandy successfully and, and, and push Germany back to Berlin. We didn't know that. So in 1943, one week after the landings in Italy, these guys are fighting for their lives. They're fighting for the toehold. And for all we know, the fight through Italy might be the way into the underbelly of the Axis powers that will end the war, right? So heck of a fight going on right at the start of the Italian campaign. And by the 13th of September, what we're going to see is this, um, it's the idea of Kelly starting to become this deployment soldier or this combat soldier that everybody can rely upon. So he is volunteering for everything. Now, everything as in every dangerous mission and every um, patrol and every engagement, he's just, he wants to be a part of it and he's, he's reliable. So 
On the 13th of September, there's a hill called Hill 315. It's an important uh, terrain feature in this area, and it's not clear if that's held by U.S. or German forces. That's a tricky spot, right? So uh, Kelly volunteers to go take a look. It's a mile away from his current position, and that entire path is going to be covered by German sniper and artillery fire. Whether or not it's held by Americans, he's going to be under fire the whole way there. He volunteers and, and you know, a mix of running, crawling, walking, hiding, gets there, finds out it's held by the Germans, <laughs> turns around and comes back. So it's a mile there, a mile back, under fire the whole time. We could stop there, right? Like what an action could stop there. And uh, he could go on to have a very successful career in the military. That by itself is is crazy. But instead, he comes back and grabs a group of three soldiers and says, we're going to go, gets permission, I think is the way it's phrased, to go ahead and assault a German machine gun position that is holding up the U.S. advance. So he moves ahead with his team and just methodically knocks out position after position. Remember that we're kind of on the front lines here, so it's not as though there's one German position out there. There's going to be reinforcing. And it sounds like he comes into contact with a German force roughly 70 strong. And over the course of this engagement, one after the other after the other, the guys that he's with estimate that Kelly may have killed 40 German soldiers himself. 40. Just, they, they, they described it as just, I mean, I've already used the words, so I should probably come up with another one, but methodical is what comes to mind, where it's just, there's a bunker, fire, maneuver, destroy. There's a bunker, fire, maneuver, destroy. There's a bunker, fire, and so on. He just kept going. And it's the kind of thing, and we've talked about it before, but taking out one machine gun nest is in the category of you, you, you're lucky to survive that. So to hit position after position and be outnumbered to that degree and to come out of it, that's crazy. So again, second time in one day, we could go ahead and shut off Corporal Kelly's career at that point, and he's been more successful than most. But it doesn't stop there. He... After this engagement where he's potentially killed upwards of 40 German soldiers, he's running lower out of ammunition. So he needs, needs to resupply. He moves back into a town called Altavia, which um, is a little bit back from American lines, but it's, it's still in a contested area. So remember, we're not, he's far from the rear. He's right at the front. In Altavia is an ammunition supply point. So when ammunition comes forward, it's, it's going to be consolidated in certain areas or dumps is going to be a term that's used. And then units will send people back to pick up mortars or, or rifle ammunition or machine gun ammunition or, or whatever it might be in one consolidated area. And you might have a ammunition dump for a company, maybe for a battalion. I mean, it varies by unit and by type. And, and the idea is you've got to get it forward enough to where people can quickly get back to it and use it. Um, it's more accessible than if it was out on ships or even on the beach, but you can't have it too far forward. So Altavia is kind of the spot, but as it happens, it ends up being kind of relatively contested right now. So Corporal Kelly gets back to this ammo supply point and finds out that it's under fire. It's in the middle of, of a firefight. He joins in, uh, help us defend the spot for the rest of the day and night comes. So during the night, he picks up a guard position, just rotating through guards, and he's going to be in the second story of the building that is is either very near, I think it's like partially attached to the supply point, and it's going to be kind of a prominent position in the middle of Altavia. 
he takes up his position on the uh, in the second floor of the building. There's windows out a couple different directions, which are going to be important. And as the sun rises, the Germans attack. Now, they're looking to push the Americans back, kill all the Americans, take over the town. An ammo supply point is going to be a point of concern if you're an attacking army because just like a fuel point, if you can capture that, that's going to hamstring your enemy. So this, whether or not they know it's a supply point, it's at least a prominent feature in town, and the Germans are headed right towards Commando Kelly and his uh, and his team now that he's a part of helping to defend this ammo supply point. So now, if you want to pull the positive out of this, Charles Kelly has um, every sort of weapon at his disposal because he's at an ammo supply point. So hopefully he can he can he has the tools to defend, and that's what he does. So he starts with a Browning automatic rifle and starts firing. He fires that BAR until the barrel is red hot and glowing and it jams. It happens. You can't just, in movies, you see people just hold down the uh, the trigger and the, you can just fire a machine gun forever. But the bullet going through the barrel is, there's, there's so much energy there that you will overheat barrels pretty quickly, which is why you really need to... Um, Machine guns need to not be held down like it's cyclic, but in short, you know, three second bursts at most. One to two second bursts is kind of the, the preferred method, and it allows the barrel a little bit of time to cool. So you don't, I mean, what happens if your barrel starts to melt and it literally will start to melt? That's what happens with his first VAR. So he moves to a second. <laughs> Does the same thing. He's firing so many rounds through this that it eventually melts the barrel, jams the barrel, is of no more use to him. So, He's in the ammo supply point. So as the Germans are continuing to attack, he starts rotating between what he has at his disposal. And what he has at his disposal are Thompson submachine guns, uh, M1 Garand rifles, kind of the standard service rifle for World War II, and Springfield 1903 carbines. That are It's a bolt-action rifle. So he's going to be alternating between these three with a lot of ammunition at his disposal as the Germans are attacking the position. Now... He does start to get creative at one point, and as the Germans get into some buildings right around him that pose a real threat to knock him out, he starts throwing phosphorus and incendiary grenades into these buildings and burning some of them down, forcing the Germans that are in there trying to gain the advantage to flee. You can't fight for very long if your building that you're taking cover in is on fire. As the attacks start to wane, there's going to be kind of waves. During one of the gaps in the waves, Kelly goes down, finds a box of 60 millimeter mortar rounds, removes the pen to prime them, and starts throwing them to where when they hit the ground, it's going to be a point detonating fuse. It'll go off like a grenade, kind of well, like a mortar, except that he's throwing it instead of firing it out of a tube. He goes through quite a few of these 60 millimeter mortars that he's throwing by hand. He's not done. The Germans continuing to attack. Before the attack is over, He'll fire. He'll find a spot where he can find fire a bazooka. One of the issues there is there's going to be a lot of backblast that comes out. And if you're in a small room, you don't want to fire from inside. It could the the, the pressure could um, could kill you even. Um, but you want to be outside, have somewhere for that blast to go behind you. He finds some place where he can do this, and he fires multiple bazooka rounds. He even goes outside, and this is the cherry on top. He even goes outside finds a 37 millimeter towed anti-tank gun and mans that to knock out a German, German sniper nest. That's where it starts to turn into 
um, just the movies or, or like you'd see in a video game. Like whatever you got available, move over there. Anti-tank gun, got it. Bazooka, got it. I mean, he's one after the other, after the other, after the other. Eventually, the attack dies down and Kelly is uh, is able to withdraw with the unit um, and the estimates, the estimates in that attack are that he was responsible for killing around 200 enemy fighters. 200. A few months later, uh, before the end of the war, the Corporal Kelly would be awarded the Medal of Honor. He would survive the war and he would go home, but it's not really a happy story with Charles Kelly. He makes a comment at some point while he's in the service that it's just a medal. And after the war, I'll just be a soldier. I'll just have been an old soldier like everybody else. And that's kind of how it panned out. He, there was a lot of tragedy in his life. I mean, you could, I think you could probably look at his medal of honor action and call that tragedy. It's hard to, you know, 240 people die to your hand. That's, that's, that's a challenge to deal with, but he gets home and he, he marries very quickly, but his, his, his wife, dies of cancer a few years later, like age of 25. His brother goes missing in the Korean War. He has businesses that go under, um, starts drinking pretty heavily when he gets back, likely suffering from pretty severe PTSD. And of course, at this time, there wasn't a lot, uh, wasn't a lot of information there, wasn't a lot of talking about that. And um, people work to resolve that in their own ways. And one of those ways often was, was with alcohol and Kelly descended pretty quickly into um, rather severe alcoholism. Wouldn't ever accept gifts or charity on his behalf. Um, even pre- at, at one point, president Eisenhower is reaching out, trying to help him and his family won't accept it, which, you know, for better or for worse. Right. I, I, I I hope we do a better, I think we, well, we do a better job today of talking about this and recognizing some of the challenges here, but I think it was a, you know, a a point of pride almost to not talk about that and and bottle it up inside, but it'll eat you up. I mean, you can't, my view on PTSD, if you will, is that every, if you take a, a scenario like combat, there's, there's so many opportunities for there to be something to change you as a person. And Sometimes that's a really, really big thing, like killing 240 people in two days. I'd put in the category of really big. Other times it could be something small, but by comparison, I guess, but it doesn't matter. Everybody is impacted differently by different things. And you never have any idea and you won't know until after somebody goes through it, if that thing, whatever that thing is that impacts them is going to be just a chink in their armor or if it's going to cut their knees out and they're never going to be able to recover. And you don't know that as you're going through it and you, you can't tell it based off of the type of person going into it. And, and um, I think it's fair to say that for the, you know, the actions we're talking about today may have been closer to, you know, really, hurting Charles Kelly in the long run. And uh, I don't think we were in a position as a country to be able to help with that, which is too bad. Um, nonetheless, we want to put a, put a positive, you know, in on a positive spin here. He, his actions 
standing forward like he did time and again in either scenario on the 13th or the 14th, um, volunteering, being that deployment soldier, being that combat soldier that people can rely on, um, saved lives. He saved the lives of countless American soldiers by standing firm and holding the line against these repeated German attacks. So looking out for his men, looking out for his brothers, volunteering always when the dangerous mission came up. And for his actions on 13, 14, September, 1943, Corporal Charles Kelly, Commando Kelly, the one-man army, will be awarded the Medal of Honor. Hey, thanks for listening to War Stories. If you get a chance, it'd mean an awful lot if you could head over to Apple or Spotify or wherever you listen to your podcast and leave a review. It helps others to, to find the show. But thanks again for listening. We'll see you next time.